You're listening to the Euro 92 Throwback Series on the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to SFF Podcast with me, John Bleasdale. 30 years ago this summer, Scotland took part in the first ever European Championships at the 1992 Finals in Sweden. To commemorate this, we take a look back at the Euro 92 Finals with a representative from each of the eight teams who took part in the tournament. In part one, we look at the heavyweights going into the finals, defending European champions Netherlands and newly crowned world champions Germany who were drawn in the same group as each other. In the Dutch corner, we speak to winger Brian Roy, who speaks about their performance in the tournament and the disappointment of not claiming back-to-back Euro titles. In the German corner, I caught up with podcaster for Yellow Wall podcast, Matthias Suk, who discusses their progress to the final that ended with the ultimate disappointment of losing to rank outsiders Denmark. So sit back and enjoy our first instalment of the Euro 92 throwback series, looking at the heavyweights. My mind's down and it's off course You don't know where to go You don't know who to phone In this part of our Euro 92 throwback, we look at the fortunes of the defending European champions, Netherlands. And I'm delighted to be joined by 32 times cap Netherlands international, Brian Roy. Brian, welcome along. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks, thanks. Good, good. Thanks. Uh, no, um, thank you very much for um, for taking the time to come on. I mean, obviously, um, when you first started out in the Dutch national team, you were still a young boy. You, um, you know, your first cap coming in a um, a friendly against Denmark. I understand in September nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. What was that like making your debut for for your country? Yeah, I came in in the second half in the Olympic Stadium in Amsterdam against Denmark. It was yes, and. It was pretty, pretty nerve-wracking. It was a bad day. And uh, I guess it was a friendly match. I don't know. I don't can remember, but... Uh, uh, well, it, it, I had one bad memory about that because our coach then, uh, what was his name again? He, 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 he's not it wasn't Rinus Michels, was it? No, 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 it wasn't Rinus Michels, but it was uh, Thijs Liebrechts. All right. Yeah, Thijs Liebrechts. And uh, I had to come in in the second half in the, after the break. And he told me, you have to do, you have to do your, 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 uh, how do you call it? Uh, your um, uh, duties. You have to do your duties first and then you can uh, do your actions. So I was like, huh? It just made me more nervous. He didn't give me a very good feeling. So then Frank Rijkaard came to me and he said, don't listen to him, Brian. He's mad. Don't listen to him. Just play your own game. And that was good. So it wasn't okay. <laughs> then I was fine again. And then uh, I played my game and uh, it was okay. Yeah. 
it must have made um, some impression because I understand you were part of the squad that went to Italy, although Holland um, didn't play particularly well in the tournament, um, to be fair. But then you went yeah. into um, quite a tough qualifying group as it turned out. Um, you played in three of the games against Greece, Malta, and well, Malta again. Um, and you got through by two points ahead of a Portugal side who were starting to show that they were going to become a, a force in future years. How tough was it going into that Dutch environment, knowing that this wasn't just any ordinary Dutch team, this was the defending European champions with some great players like Van Basten and Rijkaard and Hulot, etc. Yeah, yeah, for me, it was, of course, uh, a terrific experience. For me, it was a terrific experience. And um, that's... that's that's this. I think you are one of the best generations after Jan Kraft generation uh, in the seventies, which we had uh, in Holland. And uh, for me, it was all about uh, experience. This uh, to play with Frank Rijkaard, Van Basten, Van Burg, Koeman, Rijkaard, all those big names. So yeah, I, you 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 almost couldn't play that. So. Uh, and there was a bit of pressure on that team. I can, not really for me, but uh, there was pressure on those players who played, who won the 88, of course. And you, you could feel that, yeah. You could feel that a bit. It was a bit of tension. But uh, for me personally, the greatest experience I could, I could ever have, uh, have in my football career. Yeah, it's definitely would have been a, a good education, although you did miss the remaining qualifiers, but then you made a comeback in a friendly against Austria um, and you timed your run perfectly um, coming back because you then make the United 2 squad you score your first um, goal against Wales your second goal against France in pre-tournament um, friendlies um, and that coming off the back of a good season with Ajax where you won the UEFA Cup as well so everything just seemed to be falling nicely into place for you Yeah, that was, was a, it was a great year uh, actually for me uh, 92, winning the UEFA Cup and then uh, half finals uh, in the Euros. We had to win that that tournament. It's a pity that we didn't win that one. And um, yeah, it was a great season uh, apart from the fact that I had a role with Van Gaal, the coach of Ajax then at uh, the end of the year uh, at Ajax and that I had to leave uh, the club I love. Well, I... I, I I left myself. I didn't have to leave, but I left myself. I was not happy with the way I was treated. And then yeah. I went to Fortune. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a shame that things didn't um, end the way you wanted to Ajax off the back of a good season. But as we say, you got... Um, what was that feeling like when you scored your first um, international goal in that game against Wales? It was a convincing win, a 4-0 victory. But um, for you, it must have been a special moment. When was this again? <laughs> Wait, you see it? I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't. I can't remember that. All right, okay. I'll be honest. I didn't look. Um, look, I only looked up. You scored. I've not w- watched the footage. The only footage I kind of watched of you scoring a goal in a friendly was against us, um, Scotland, no, in Scotland. Uh, that, that I always remember. Yes, because it was quite a ping from you that night. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, that was a great goal. Yeah, it definitely was. We'll try. Not against to... Wales, I can't. I, I, I couldn't. I, I can't tell you. I couldn't remember. All right, I'll, I'll need to look up on YouTube and send you yeah. later on. <laughs> See if it's available. It probably is. Um, do you remember your goal against France? A, a more high-profile. Yeah, goal? that was in France. It was in 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 in, in the stadium of, of in Metz, I guess. 
I, 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 I can remember I scored there, but what kind of goal it was, I, I can't remember. But it was in it was in a great stadium, a, a very good uh, atmosphere, and I, I guess it was in Mets or something. I don't I don't know, but uh, it was a pretty important goal. Yeah, and it also helped you um, nail yourself into the starting lineup for the Euros, and you. you briefly touched on the expectation of the squad. It was quite simple, really. You were defending champions. Yeah. The aim, obviously, is to win it. But what about the spirit you had? Because Mickles is now back in charge. And, you know, we've mentioned, I only mentioned three of the players, the three AC Milan's. Um, you had uh, Ronald Koeman, obviously, at the back, who'd won the U- European Cup with Barcelona. Your teammate, ben- Dennis Bergkamp, who was really emerging as a top talent and obviously went on to become a really great player. Uh, that, you know, in terms of the spirit amongst the squads, you know, how, how was it? Yeah, the spirit was great. And it wasn't scripted that yeah. we lost in the half final. It wasn't scripted because, in my view, we played a terrific tournament. We played very disciplined. We played, uh, I think, the best football of, uh, of all the teams in the whole tournament. And, uh, and everybody expected us to go into the finals. And us too, but on that day against Denmark, it just didn't happen. One Was it overconfidence? No, no, definitely not. But the Danish, they fought for their lives. It was unbelievable. They fought for their lives, and it was, we had a difficult time against them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, you have those days, but we were way better. Sometimes you have those days that the ball wouldn't go in. It just, yeah, it was just one of those days, and it doesn't help it's when. Just one of those days, and and that was it was also devastating that that we lost. We were devastated because nobody expected this. We expected to go to the final, and it definitely wasn't uh, that we um, uh, of confidence or something like that because they had a good squad. Come on, Brian Laudrup, uh, the, 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 the player in front, uh, Preba, Preba, uh, Lasse. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hey, they had a good squad. But you just had to, we, just, we played the quarterfinal against uh, uh, Germany. We played them off the pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll obviously touch <laughs> the Germany game in a moment. Um, but uh, in terms of the first game, Against Scotland, um, you know it was a Scotland side that was making their debut at, the, at this tournament. There was big expectations that um, the Dutch would win. You did, but it wasn't without a scare from from us. Although maybe if you look at the chances both sides created, maybe the better team won on the day. But you got a hell of a game. We're going to hell of a game. It was a difficult game. I can remember that very difficult game, and uh, Scottish were very tough. But yeah, we had a good squad. We had so much talent. Yeah, from Basten, uh, Rijkaard, Gullit, Vanenburg, all those players. Come on, man. Uh, come on. <laughs> we had so much talent. Were you surprised at how difficult a game you got in the opening match? No, 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 we weren't surprised because it's the European Cup. It's, 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 it's the Euros. Every single game is a fight. And on, on the big tournaments... Every single game is a fight. You have to be on top of your game because every single tournament, every single country wants to win. 
Did you swap your shirts with a Scottish player at the end of the match? And if yeah, so, who did you yeah, get? Yeah, I swapped it with my direct opponent. What was his name again? Was it maybe Stuart McKimmy, the right back, wore number nine, believe it or not? No, number two. I have done number two. Richard Goff, centre-back. The squad numbers for Scotland were quite weird, Brian, because the way our, um, our manager did it in that tournament, they were ordered in number of caps. So the highest number of caps you had, the higher number you were. So it was like Richard Goff was number two. Ali McCoy, the striker, was number five. Stuart McKimmy, who was playing right back that day, was number nine. Dave McPherson, the other centre-back, was eight. So well, fair okay. to say you haven't looked that shirt out in a while. <laughs> No, I, I'm not. I'm not with that thing, shirts and everything. I don't care. Fair I, I'm not into those. Uh... Yeah, my son is not happy with that. <laughs> no, can I understand? He wants, he wants those shirts, but I don't know what I did with him. Yeah. But uh, I think it was it was it was McGuff. It was Richard Goff. Yeah, Richard Goff, number two. Kill. Cool. Cool. Yep. We'll, we'll, we'll source that out. Yeah, we'll source that out and see who, got, yeah. who was the lucky man who got your jersey, um, etc. Yeah. <laughs> um, Actually, so- we played a friendly match against Scotland in uh, in uh, in the what's the stadium called again? The the, the, the most famous stadium in uh, Scotland, Hamden. Hamden Park. Where you scored? <laughs> oh yeah, unbelievable! It was, it was such an emotional atmosphere. Something special is there. Unbelievable. I will never forget that. Yeah, it only just reopened um, after a couple of years because they were rebuilding the stands to put seats in. Okay. And uh, I was at that game, actually, when you scored that goal. And I thought, wow, what a goal. Um, but but yeah, it was um, it was a pretty strange occasion. We, it was another good game that you got that night off us, but it took a moment of brilliance, as we say. It was a very good goal. I watched it against today because Andy Gorham was a top goalkeeper and it took something special to beat him in those days. Yeah, yeah, but that was it was a good strike. That was one of those. <laughs> Sometimes you're lucky. You hit it right. <laughs> Modest is the best policy, Brian. <laughs> Second game, um, against the CIS. Now, from what I gathered on the highlights, um, you were pretty dominant, especially second half. Karim makes a couple of great saves in the match. Um, Van Basten has a goal wrongly chopped off or offside. I don't know. You didn't need VAR in those days to see that wasn't offside. Um, I don't know what's <laughs> happened. Um, but, you know, was it a, um, a frustration that you didn't get the maximum points that night? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But um, what I already told you, we were so confident and we, and we played... We, we played Good football. We played. We played very disciplined, and uh, and also uh, during uh, when we were in, in the hotel, there was a perfect atmosphere, you know. And trainings was very sharp, and we had a very good coach, Rinis Michels, very experienced, and gave us confidence. And uh, and there, I really saw what a good coach he really was. In the same why he is the big coach, you know. I, I'm I'm very honored to have worked with him because. Uh, yeah, he he has this he has this presence, his aura that which, which lifts you also up, you know. It's unbelievable, but um, he has this is this un uh, this this uh, unbeatable aura about him, you know. How do you call it in English? Unvincible or, or invincible? Invincibility. Win- <laughs> invincible. Invincible. Yeah, this invincibleness 
aura about him. So we had a feeling we, 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 we're going to be all right here. But it ended in the semi-finals. Is he the best coach that you've played under out of all the coaches that you've had? No, it's for John Craft. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Can't really argue with Johan Cruyff as well, to be fair. Um, but yeah, Mikkel's obviously had, was a great manager. <laughs> I had Jan Cruyff. I had after it Leo Beenhaker. I had after it Louis van Gaal. And uh, Rienes Michels. And Guus Hiddink I had. And Zeeman is also a great coach, but not, not everybody knows him. But he's also six... Well, the best coach, there's nobody, almost nobody who can tell in Holland as well that they had all these five mm-hmm. best coaches they worked on. Unbelievable. I'm very honored. Yeah, and, and, and so you should be. And in that Germany game you mentioned, you absolutely bossed that game from start to finish. Rijkaard, Witschke and Bergkamp with the goals. Um, you know, I th- there was it was a... Uh, Quite a demolition job. It could have been. It could have been more that night. It was actually quite scary when you look. You think about it. Germany were the defending world champions, and they looked very ordinary that night. Yeah, but but uh, listen, they had a good squad, and it was a difficult phase, uh, game. It, I, I I think last year or two years ago, because of uh, the COVID, they sent it this the, the same game. They uh, showed the same game again. And there I really saw what a tough fight it was. Because also my opponent, uh, Andres Bremen, he didn't give me an inch. Mm, he's a top player. He's a top player. And, and that was all over the place. So uh, we had to be concentrated 90 minutes. And then our talent, uh, yeah, uh, one, uh, yeah, gave us the better uh, of, the, of both sides. Sides. Yeah, had a, had a great squad. Come on, it. it was it was two it was two terrific teams, and they were both expected to be in the final. When you looked at semi final lineup, and Germany also got there by beating Sweden. We've obviously touched on a couple of times. I can tell it still hurts you to this day. Um, you know with the impact of Denmark game. Um, in terms of yourself in that game, you were taken off with five minutes to go before the penalty shootout. Was that a disappointment? No, I was. I was. I was so tired. I was naked. It was, uh, it was a very hard game. We worked very hard, and uh, and I wasn't a very good penalty taker anyway, so I was quite happy. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're being honest, Brian. No, <laughs> you, you normally see these players always... saying, "I'll do it for the team," but you were like, "No, I just didn't want one." <laughs> yeah, well, if I had to take one, I would have taken it. But. Uh, in the beginning of my career, I was very nervous always for these kind of things, the pressure. And uh, in Italy, I started taking uh, penalties and in Nottingham as well. So uh, later on, uh, I took my responsibility, but I was still young, 22. <laughs> no, so it, 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 I was okay with that. And actually pretty happy. So, he couldn't pick me. No, fair, fair enough. You know, at the end of the day, you know, um, your, your abilities. That was my, that was, my, was my feeling, eh, Dad? I'm very honest about it. It's not really uh, courageous, but, but yeah, that was my, that was at that time my feeling. But 
And then you see someone like Marco Van Basten, of all people, missing a penalty, probably the least expected of the 10 that took a penalty that you'd expect to miss one. It just it just shows yeah. you, and that effectively sent you out because Denmark scored all five. Um, I mean, just... Scored all five also, eh? They scored all five! It's unbelievable! Yeah. Do you remember? It wasn't, just, it wasn't going to happen that day. No, it just it just wasn't. And you no, know, Denmark had a bit a good spirit about them. To be fair, even though they lost a defender who had one of the most horrific looking injuries I've saw with his oh. knee popping it. Oh, he never played a game after it. Eh? I think he made some kind of comeback. Reads on Wikipedia that he made one more international appearance like two years later or something like that. But yeah. It, didn't really come to much from what I could see. He certainly wasn't the same after that injury. Wasn't uh, that look, that looking that didn't look pretty good. No. And when no, they didn't look good. I can remember that. Yeah. Yeah, so just just a pain just a painful night all in for you, as you say, you know. Um would you say that's the biggest um you know disappointment in your career that you didn't get into the final that those Euros? Yeah, definitely. Biggest disappointment uh, of my career and uh, 94 quarterfinals against Brazil. But I, you, you can lose from Brazil, of course. But uh, this one, this this is one you drag uh, with you all of your life. We could have won the 92 euros again. Yeah, because when you look at the fact Denmark went on to win the thing, and you'd beaten Germany before in the group, as we said. You know, it's one of those sliding door moments almost in your career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was a pretty big disappointment, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and and to be fair, uh, I started the season at Ajax also not good, not good, and I was also very tired because we had the UEFA Cup win we won we, we 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 played in the competition until the last game to win the uh, the the national uh, uh, trophy or to be the, uh, the um, to win the the, the, the league to win the league mm-hmm. and we lost the league on one point we should have won a game we drawed a game and uh, then uh, all the games are played against uh, in the Euros, and then I needed more time as well in uh, in the beginning of the season. So I was mentally very, very, very tired. I can I can remember that. Yes, yeah. I was I was very disappointed with that loss. Yeah, I can, I can definitely understand that. And but you ended up, I mean, you ended up playing in a World Cup a couple of years later. As you mentioned, it's disappointment going out to Holland, but you then score in a major tournament as well. You know, that 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 must be a good feeling. So Euro 92, I'm guessing, um, although you've got the ultimate disappointment of not winning it, which was your target, how much does it really mean to you that tournament? You look back now, 30 years on, when you consider what you went on to achieve later on. I, I'm I'm so proud. I'm so proud of my career. I mean, uh, I played, I played on the biggest podiums you can play in your life. The only podium I didn't play was uh, the Europe, European Cup one uh, uh, finals. But 
no one can take that away from me anymore. You know, uh, I played uh, for the best club in in Holland. I belong to the 11 best players of my time. I played with the best generation ever played together with Kraus generation mm-hmm. in the Dutch national team. Won the UEFA Cup. And I won also the league in Holland. We should have won more in Holland, but PSV was just every single year so good. <laughs> With Romario, Fahnenberg, Gift, uh, Koeman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, um, yeah, I, I played to the generation. There, I think no one has never seen better football than in those times of the Dutch national team. We played very good, <laughs> very disciplined. It was very good football. We played entertaining with the best players of the European podium, the world podium. It's, yes. a, it's a time to never, ever forget. You, you certainly had some good um, some good players in, in those days and some good teams that nearly won the World Cup in 98 and stuff as well. So, yeah, it was definitely a good um, era for the Dutch national team, I thought. Um, possibly should have won more, um, but that's subjective, yep. um, as we say. What about the Dutch team of 2022? They qualified for the World Cup um, in a tight group with Turkey and uh, Norway in it. They managed to just about finish first. Um, but they also had um, a mixed bag in the Euros going out very disappointing pointly to the Czech Republic. What's your views on the Dutch national team just now going ahead to that World Cup? Is it, are they still a side that's, that for you should be doing better than what they did? Or do you think they're still a long way away from competing with the likes of um, you know, your Italy's, your Belgium's, your France's, your England's, etc.? I think, I think uh, we are overestimating uh, our own abilities at the moment. I mean, uh, we... Uh, we are very short in uh, central strikers. We have Memphis to pine. But at Barcelona, you see this, this, this missing a little edge. Huh? You know, it's, it's, we thought he, uh, he, he would make it at Barcelona. But you see that that jump to greatness. He cannot make that yet. So that means that's all that would, that affects also the Dutch national team. Huh? And to be fair, Memphis Depay is one of our best players. But we don't have to overestimate it, you know, and think that we're going to win the next Euros because that's not going to happen. I think we miss still a lot of uh, yeah, outstanding quality to win... Uh, to win the Euros still. We have a good squad, but not yet to to, uh, to win. Maybe in two years. When Frenkie de Jong are older, Matthijs de Ligt, you know, and uh, other players coming up, young players, I think then uh, we are a bit stronger. But we miss a great central striker. Yeah. 
yeah, you definitely don't have a Van Basten or a Van Nistelrooy or a Clivert. Um, you don't have that type no. of player um, at all just now. Um, no. I mean, I saw in the friendly that um, our respective nations played against each other before the Euros there. Um, I didn't think there was much between the sides at all. I thought, if anything, Scotland were the better team in that game in Portugal. Um, but that was obviously just a one-off game. But um, yeah, I think you're a long way off competing for the World yeah, Cup. Um, this yeah, year in certainly the Euros um, two years time I think that may be too far away as well but that's just my personal viewpoint yeah yeah. if you compare that with France uh, you know and yeah France Germany very good squad <laughs> France very good squad come on you know uh, very talented squad they don't France doesn't play very good football but difficult they're difficult physically very strong Germany I think Great squad. We won against them, but then still in the tournament, something different. Yeah, tournament football is different, isn't it? And you well know that. But listen, um, thank you very much for your time, Brian. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking right. to you and um, for sharing your memories about your 92. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. When you go This Euro 92 throwback series is sponsored by Supernova Terraceware, an independent Scottish terrace and leisureware company. They sell a great range of products including t-shirts, hoodies, hats, scarves and more. Also, they have a great range of new products coming soon including jackets. As a special for this series, they're offering listeners 10% off using the code EURO92 in capitals. So please visit supernovaterraceware.com to take advantage of this great offer. We'd like to thank Supernova Terraceware for the continued support of Scottish Football Forum's podcast. In this part of the Euro 92 throwback series, we look at the performance of world champions Germany. And I am joined by podcaster for the Gila Wall um, podcast, Matthias Suk. Matthias, thank you for coming along. How are you? Hey, John. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me here. I'm doing well, um, and it's always fun to relive one of the great traumas of my youth. <laughs> yeah, there's been a few in this um, podcast that have um, I've done the yeah. same. So um, I promise you that's not the intention. It's just to obviously look back <laughs> and just to explain to um, you know some of our listeners who who might be thinking, why have you got an American talking about Germany? Can you explain your background a wee bit, please? Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, my name is Matthias. I'm German and American. I've lived most of my life in the United States, but also many, many years in Germany. My my parents are German. I'm a German citizen. I just happened to be born in the United States and lived here for a long time. No, fair, fair enough. I mean, Scotland, I've had fun for years. Uh, um, a few Englishmen play for the country, so we're used yeah. to different accents um, yeah. you know, for each country, so it's uh, nothing new. Um, so, obviously, um, when the Euro 92 draw, um, the, the qualifying draw came around, there was actually two German teams, uh, West and East, of course. Um, mm-hmm. West won the World Cup in the Italian 90. And ironically, the two of them were drawn in the same group, but none of them got um, kicked a ball um, before, because um, they got 
unified in the, um, by the time the qualifiers came around. That must have been... Um, what was that transformation like at that time, do you recall? Or do your parents recall? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was 12 years old at the time. Um, and, and obviously, that entire time period from like 1989, 90, uh, was... Even now is very vivid in my memory. Um you know, as far as East Germany, West Germany, and in a footballing sense, I mean, I still remember during Italian 90, everyone was talking about, well, you know, in future, it's going to be one German team. Uh, and to to then be drawn, theoretically, in that group, even though, honestly, everybody already kind of knew what was going to happen. Uh, you know, everything was in motion, but it just kind of had to happen. And it, it fell in place with just the general, I'm not going to say turmoil, but uh, extreme, extreme changes that happened around that time. I mean, in these Euros, you think about a unified Germany, no more Soviet Union, but you then you had that construct. And then obviously the Yugoslavia thing, mm-hmm. uh, thing, yeah, <laughs> uh, one way to say it. So it, it kind of fit that one. So the German one was probably the the smoothest out of those three. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, th- I think the fact was that that was um, that didn't set the trend to the Germany one because that was two countries coming together. Whereas obviously mm-hmm. with um, USSR um, slash Soviet Union and Yugoslavia, it was countries breaking apart. So we went from what I think it was what thirty five um, UEFA recognised nations at that point, um, and now there's obviously fifty five. So yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that was obviously and there's there was a Czech Republic and uh, so Czechoslovakia situation as well um, a year yep. later. So yeah, it was the landscape of Europe changed. Um, could argue for the better, but um, that's a debate for other people in another type of podcast. Um, but um, with regards to Germany and the group, so they were drawn against um, Luxembourg, Wales, and Belgium. So it ended up being a four-team group because the two Germans um, united. It's a bit of a tricky start because um, a narrow win over Luxembourg, but then more importantly, they went one lost one 0 to Wales to so Ian Ruskell. And was there any? And I know you obviously were 12 at the time, but was there any kind of concerns at that point um, at that defeat or was it just the kick up the backside the Germans needed to get going? Well, honestly, uh, German struggles in qualifying are nothing new. Um, I mean, heading into Italia 90, it was really down to the wire for qualification to a degree. And uh, I, I remember that Wales game because... Um, if I remember correctly, it was actually Ryan Giggs's debut for Wales. I think he was... He made his debut seven, in a away game, I'm sure. Yeah, well, he was like 17 or something like that. But mm-hmm. but I remember uh, there was that, oh, here's this young kid that nobody's heard about. <laughs> uh, but but uh, Ian Rush's goal, obviously, uh, it was a bad game. It was just a horrible, horrible game. Um, and him getting that goal. I mean, that was like one of the big highlights in Welsh football at that time. And for Germany, it was like, all right, okay, we've got a new coach, we've got a new team that's finding itself. And uh, where where will this end up, all of this? Uh, so it was a little, yeah, I'd say a little bit of nervousness, but nothing that Germany fans in qualifying weren't used to, but you looked at the rest of the qualifying matches and you went, odds are Germany are going to qualify. 
Yeah, and they obviously did so instead. And then they thrashed Wales 4 1 the return leg, beat Belgium home and away by the same score of 1 0, 4 1 of Luxembourg. It was um, clinched it, but so it ended up being more smooth in, um, yeah. in the end um, after that little blow. Um, you obviously mentioned Bertie Votes, who um, obviously had a spell at Scotland manager later on. How was that transition from Beckenbauer, who won the World Cup, to Votes, although Votes was his right hand man? Um, how was that transition received at the time? You know, Votes was obviously, to be fair, um, a World Cup and European Championship winner as a player. Yeah, I mean, him and Beckenbauer were teammates for uh, Germany in the 70s. Vogt's a uh, legend for club and country, obviously, with uh, Mönchengladbach, a dominant team in the 70s. And him being the assistant for Beckenbauer during some very successful years, specifically, obviously, 90, but as well as 86, to lesser degree, 88. Um, I think people, there, there was a general sense of trust at that time. Uh, the problem for the problems for Betty folks really only started later in his tenure with uh, Germany, specifically since 1994. It's like 92, he was definitely not given a pass for how it ended up. But uh, being his first tournament, the ridiculing, and I'm talking like if, if social media had been around back then, um, he would have been meme central. I mean, there was actually a German version of MTV that later uh, there was a guy there called Stefan Rapp, who was a VJ for them. And he did a, a Bertie Vogt's a music video song to kind of parody Betty folks uh, after 94. So the beginning was okay. It kind of devolved after that, despite obviously winning the Euros then uh, four years later. You think it, it would have been bad then when you had a, um, a team that was getting to finals and quarterfinals? Um, but to see what would have happened when he was Scotland manager, of course, social media wasn't around even when he yeah. was the Scotland manager. So I can only imagine poor Betty. Um, but um, so you also got uh, did enough to get you through, um, and then when the draw was made, um, for me from a Scotland point of view, obviously we look at it as the world champions, European champions, and the European um, runners up from eight all in the same group. Could not have asked for a more daunting group from, from a German point of view. What was the perception? Just um, was there a worry that you um, might not have enough in this group, or was it a case of well, let's just get this job done? We should get through. Well, I mean, the one that really concerned everybody was obviously the Netherlands um, because it wasn't that long ago. I mean, you think about 88, obviously the Netherlands winning the, the Euros in Germany. And from a very German perspective, I'll admit it, some very ugly scenes after the Dutch beat Germany in the semifinals. And then obviously in 1990, the whole Frank Rijkaard's uh, Rudi Fella spitting attack where to this day I still don't know how Rudi Fella got sent off for being spat at in that situation um, you know it was I mean I grew up at a time uh, in northwest Germany I mean we were 20 minutes from the Dutch border where I lived where you know hooligans in mean, 90s is hooligan central would meet up at the border when Germany played uh, the Netherlands and fight each other. You know, I mean, that, that kind of mentality still existed. And so 
obviously a lot of people, I have a lot of friends in England. I used to live in the UK and there was, oh, you know, the big rivalry between Germany and England and Germans don't consider England a rival. They consider the Netherlands a rival. They consider Italy a rival, but specifically the Netherlands ever since 74. And so this was kind of one of those where we looked at it as fans and went, man, why couldn't we have gotten the French or the English? Why did it have to be the Dutch? Because at that time, like 88, they were the best team in the world. 92, they were the best team in the world, in my opinion. They had the best group of players. In 1990, had they not run into Germany at the top of their game, I think the Netherlands would have gone to the World Cup final that year uh, and probably won it. But um, thankfully, they didn't. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not overly sure they would have won the World Cup necessarily United the way they were playing because they struggled in their group with uh, they, England. They, I mean, that whole I mean that whole group was weird. I mean, yeah. it was like the group of the perpetual draw. But Italian '90, even though it was a highlight for me as a fan, the German, the German group stages overall were really good. It was, it wasn't the best football on display. A lot of one nil games draws yeah very uh very exciting games uh down to the wire but it wasn't exactly a great advertisement for the sport definitely wasn't um i mean i think a lot of people look back at um, italian 90 from a nostalgic point of view um people of our era that would have been one of our first well in my case it was my first world cup would have been probably one of your first if, if not second um but obviously a man that stood out in italian 90 was uh Walter Matthias, um without doubt the player of the tournament but he was missing from euro 92 how big a blow was that to the germans oh it's huge i mean he's the best german player uh, i mean he was world footballer of the year in 1990 he was really the captain he was the man in that team and um, the one thing tactically that Beckenbauer did in 90, obviously we're talking 92 here, is against Maradona in, 90, in 86, Beck, uh, Beckenbauer put Mateos on Maradona versus in 1990. He didn't. He gave Mateos a free roll. And that free roll continued. And Mateos, during the qualifiers, dominated. I mean, absolutely dominated. Remember the the match against Belgium, and you know you had two of the great number tens at the time in Europe, with uh, Enzo Schifo mm -hmm. uh, on Belgium side versus Lothar Matthäus, and Lothar Matthäus made him look like an also ran in that game. So um, losing him at that time was a huge, huge blow because Germany was looking at okay, who's going to be our creative playmaker, our number ten? It turned out mainly to be Thomas Hessler, but that isn't really, wasn't his best role. Yeah, it wasn't, but um, he still ended up probably being your talisman in the tournament. I mean, oh, yeah. if, it, if it wasn't for Hessler in that game against the CIS, you would have lost that game one nothing. It wasn't much of a game. Um, Double Falls just scored um, a penalty. It was a definite foul by, um, from, <laughs> by Reuter on Dobrovolsky. Um, Riedler did hit the bar in this game, um, but it wasn't looking good for the Germans. But then Hessler scores an absolute cracker of a free kick in the 90th minute to rescue the Germans in that game. Yeah, it was one of those games where, um, you know, when looking back at the highlights and everything, it was uh, kind of surprising. I mean, Germany were dominant, they were the better side. 
and then uh, the CIS got that penalty, which was a clear penalty. I mean, nowadays, Hoyta may have even gotten sent off for that um, because he just basically tackled him. Uh, it was stupid. Unlike what happened against Sweden uh, later in the tournament, which I think was, you know, questionable uh, uh, penalty shout there. But here it was the typical thing. Onslaught, onslaught, onslaught. You can't score. You can't score. The opposition gets that penalty and then makes it really hard. And then uh, the CIS actually had a lot of good opportunities. They were getting more into the game and Germany were getting more and more frustrated. And then, yeah, Thomas Hessler with uh, one of his like trademark free kick goals, which he was just uh, exceedingly good at. And here's the thing. If Lothar Mateos would have been in the squad there's a very good chance he would have been the one taking the free kicks and less so um, uh, Thomas Hesla. So, you know, I guess there, there was the one positive side from Lothar Matthäus not being there. <laughs> yeah, one of the very few, but at least you had some, you know, someone that could uh, step up and, uh, and that's just um, the mark of a, a great player that Thomas Hesla can produce a, a great moment like that when the mm -hmm. team needed to get him out and yeah it was a, as you say it was a bit of a slow but another um, you lost another big player that night um, Rudy Fuller um, coming off with a mm -hmm. broken arm as well yeah I mean this was kind of the the tournament of broken heads and broken bones <laughs> um, and yeah losing Rudy Fuller you know I mean a talismanic striker you can argue whether or not he was still at the top of his game in 92 uh, I think Karl-Heinz Riedle has probably surpassed him as the better striker overall, mm. but uh, Rudi Fela still just meant so much to that side. I mean, again, it's that core of 1990, and he was an integral player in that. And, and I mean, at that time, he was playing for Roma in, in Serie A and playing really, really well there. So uh, it, uh, it, it was frustrating to see another talismanic top player go out of the tournament. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even teams like Germany can suffer. Um, on to the next game. Um, I always find this a weird game, Scotland versus Germany. Um, mm. So I'm just, I pulled out the stats from this. So, because um, I remember from my point of view, Scotland absolutely battered Germany for the first 20 minutes at least. Um, could have been to say, Bodeldner had a wonderful game in goals. Uh, Scotland had 17 shots to Germany's 17. Um, there was 14 corners to Germany's too. What I will say to even up a wee bit is that Germany did hit the post twice as well in the second half after it went 2-0. A good goal by Carl Henry to open the score and then the luckiest goal in the tournament without question when Stefan Effenberg's cross hits um, Morris Malpass and the, the shin and loops over Andy Gorham. Um, and later on in the game, we had a free kick where McAllister hits a free kick, hits, I think it was Buchwald's head, but it goes over the bar. That mm -hmm. just sort of sums up the, the luck that was probably more with you than um, against us that day. It was a really strange game, that. Yeah, I mean, going into the game, you know, there was not the expectation that Scotland would come out and attack Germany. Um, I think it was the expectation of sit deep, I mean, essentially, you didn't use terms like low block or anything like that, but, you know, uh, compact, longer balls, you know, the, the, the tried and true kick and rush. And that wasn't the case at all. I mean, Scotland came at Germany, made play, actually, it was true playmaking. And that caught Germany completely off guard. They were not expecting it. 
And uh, yeah, Bodo Igna had an absolutely fantastic game and kept Germany in it. And the the Stefan Effenberg, I mean, I personally, I, I hate Stefan Effenberg. I think he's a horrible person. But um, <laughs> that that goal, it was kind of, it reminded me in Italia 90, obviously the Andreas Bremer goal against England in the uh, free kick that I want to say hit Paul Parker and kind of looped over Peter Shilton. And it was that same kind of luck. Uh, and, and Scotland just couldn't, couldn't muster uh, back into the game. And, and that helped Germany. It was kind of like the game was over and it was like a sigh of relief that you came out of it with actually winning it. When, if you look at the full game, a draw would have been the the more just result. Obviously, that's fair comment. I mean, I'm, I know a lot of us in Scotland probably Scotland should have won that game, um, especially look at the first twenty minutes. But as I mentioned before, the two efforts hit the post to kind of um, even themselves out a wee bit. But um, at the end of the day, Germany did what Germany do. They don't necessarily play great, but they know how to get results. They know how to grind out results when they're not necessarily playing great, and that's why they've been such a great team for for so long. And well, Scotland just as well as we played in that whole tournament, we just didn't have enough um, when it came to the the big game. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a shame because I would say you know Scotland were definitely not worse than Germany in that group overall, and um, this was the decider, really. I mean, at the end of the day, this was this is the one that gave Germany the breathing room to. Um, let's just say have what happened in the next game happen and uh, essentially still say, okay, we can get through. Yeah, so obviously the next game is against the Dutch now. I think it's fair to say that Bertie Votes was worried because he came up to, and Andy Rocks from Scotland Manager tells the story that Bertie Votes came up to and says, please beat the CIS for us. And Andy Rocks says, no, we'll beat them for for Scotland, um, it won't be for anyone else. Um, so I think that shows that Bertie must have been a little bit worried um, about that game. Did that trans- transpire to the fans? Um, because as oh, we sure. said before, Holland Absolutely. had some great team. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this was, you had a lot of the players from 90 and 88 still in it. And then you had that next generation of really good players coming in it as well. Um the ironic thing, of course, with the Netherlands is that they weren't there in 94 and, and 96. You know, I mean, they, they really didn't show up again until 1998 in a major tournament. And that, in retrospect, is probably the biggest surprise. Um, but this team, you had those, those great veterans coupled with some of those really exciting young players that would then come to the forefront um, in, in 1998. But I, no, I mean, I had zero confidence going into this game. And that, that says a lot as a Germany fan at that time where you would go into games always believing you win. And this was one where even I, I mean, I was 14 and I went, no, <laughs> I watched, I watched Serie A religiously at the time. And obviously the best players in the world played there and yeah. pretty much everybody from the Netherlands played there at the time. And it was just, I, 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 I knew what was going to happen. I didn't think it would be as embarrassing as it was, to be honest. Uh, but the Netherlands completely outplayed Germany and, um, you know, the, the, the saving grace for Germany was that they at least didn't lose to the Netherlands in the final. 
I suppose you could look at it that way, but um, you know, I think the saving grace that night was that Scotland did you a massive favour by oh, thrashing yeah. the CIS 3 0, and CIS were very overconfident um, going into that game, um, probably by the road and mittens. Um, and I think they were shell shocked when we went two up after 16 minutes. Um, the luck that we didn't have in the previous two games against the Dutch and the Germans all came to fresh because we get two deflected goals in the first uh, 16 minutes. Um, so so uh, that must be a relief um, getting through with a little help yeah. from your Scottish friends. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, given how Scotland played against Germany, there was a, a level of confidence in Scotland's ability against the CIS because the CIS did not play well against Germany, whereas Scotland did. And so... Um, as such, I I wasn't worried about that one. I was just, the, you know, when you play against the Netherlands as Germany, uh, it's always it's always a nerve wracking affair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the main thing was that you got out of the group by hook or by crook, um, and then the semi final without question Germany's best performance. I know the score ends up three two um, against a host nation who did very well. You know, had some great players themselves like Thomas Brolin and then. Um, you know, Kenneth Anderson, Martin Dallin, etc. But um, Germany showed up. Germany showed their tournament know-how um, and the, the the class that got them the, the World Cup showed up that night and Karlheim should like getting two goals as well. He was, um, he really stepped up to the void that was vacated by the injury of Oller, of course. Yeah, I mean, Germany were confident. They were dominant. I mean, really the whole game. I mean, the, the two Swedish goals... You know, a penalty uh, from Brolin, uh, which I, you know, it wasn't wasn't that clear cut, and then just that weird second goal, which, you know, uh, that that's on the keeper uh, completely. You know, and Ilkna wasn't really one known for stupid mistakes, and that was just you know a weird goal to concede. But there was no concern that Germany wouldn't win this game. You know, and, and they played accordingly. And I think losing to the Netherlands the way they did probably helped their focus in this game. Yeah, it certainly, certainly did. Um, you know, it may have given them the kick up the backside. And you would have thought that you were going to be faced. You must have been thinking, right, we're going to be getting the Netherlands again in Gothenburg oh, in the final. And yep. <laughs> Denmark didn't read that script. That must have been, you must have been rubbing your hands at this point thinking, oh, great, it's not Holland. It's a team that we should, should, capital letters, be able yeah. to beat. <laughs> well, I mean, and it's just, you know, the story of Denmark. They shouldn't have even been in the tournament. You know, they were all on the beach kind of a thing. Um, and one of the best teams in the world at the time, Yugoslavia, were not in the tournament. And I, I remember watching the penalty shootout uh, between Denmark and the Netherlands and uh, Peter Schmeichel in goal for Denmark. And it was like, okay, okay, this we can win this now. Uh, and that was reflected. I mean, I was, we were in Germany. Uh, we, we watched the game uh, with, with aunts, uncles, cousins, the like, the whole family together, just like it did two years earlier. And two years early against Argentina, there was total confidence because Argentina were not good. Mm -hmm. uh, and the belief was, okay, this will just defeat Denmark and be European champions again. And that wasn't the case. The Danes played really well. Uh, Germany had some opportunities, but the Danes had way more opportunities. They fought harder. And Germ the Germans suffered clearly from overconfidence. 
And Denmark had one of my absolute favorite players in Fleming Paulsen. Fleming Paulsen played for Borussia Dortmund at the time. And I still remember he got fouled once um, and he turned around to the German player and cussed him out in German, which I just thought was really funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, Denmark deserved the win. They played better than Germany. Germany uh, were completely overconfident in that game and lacked focus. And once they were down, they could not understand what was happening. And, um, you know, my dad, I was, I mean, I was just born at the time, but my dad, he's, he said, you know, it reminded him of when Germany lost to Austria in 1978 at the World Cup in Argentina. It was the same thing. It was the totally confident, going to beat them. And then they started conceding goals and went, we, we don't even know what to do. And so um, I'm glad if it was between losing to Denmark or the Netherlands, I'm glad it was Denmark. Um, but uh, no, Germany didn't deserve to win that game the way they approached it and uh, how they played. How does that um, final defeat rank when you compare to like Bulgaria two years later and other shot losses that Germany's had over the years? Yeah, I mean, Betty Vogt's really has some of these shock losses, Denmark in 92, Bulgaria in 94, Croatia in 98. Um, Croatia may be of the three, the least shocking given how talented that team was. Yeah. Bulgaria, that was one that nobody saw coming. Um, and I think that was the, but it was an important loss because Betty folks could turn around and shut the door on the Italian 90 players of that generation from 1986 through to 1994. And that paved the way for the team that, that eventually won in 96. But this was worse than Bulgaria because it's a final. You know, you get to a final, you want to win. Um, losing in a final always hurts more than losing in a quarterfinal. Um, you know, in 1994, Germany were not a favorite. Uh, the two favorite teams played in the final and Germany were not one of the favorites, but losing in the quarterfinal to Bulgaria was definitely a shock to the system. Uh, but this was just, this was worse for me. Um, I mean, I was 14 losing to Denmark. I was 16 losing to Bulgaria. We were in Germany at the time and obviously having to stay up really late to watch your team lose is always so much fun. Um, but uh, no, the, the Denmark one is worse. Absolutely. Yeah, I can understand that with it being a final. Um, and do you recall how um, how the media and um, locals reacted to Germany's performance? Because uh, I, I suppose like, if, if Scotland reached the final, we would have got heroic status. In fact, if Scotland qualified for the next round of a major tournament, which has never happened, it would be heroic status. But for Germany reaching a final and losing, it probably goes. Um, it probably doesn't quite get that same reaction. <laughs> No, especially because it was losing to, no disrespect meant here, but losing to Denmark. If it was a loss to the Netherlands, it still wouldn't have gone down well, but it would have been more accepted. If it's a loss to, you know, Italy or someone like that, it's like, okay, fine. You know, it's the national footballing trauma. We always lose to Italy kind of a thing. Um, But with Denmark... Nobody was happy. The public, the fan base was unhappy. The media was unhappy. 
And obviously it was a very bad way for Betty folks in a major tournament to start because you had, aside from one game, you had a lot of lackluster German performances. Uh, a lot of that was pinned on the not having Lothar Matthäus there because obviously this was still a time in football where the one man does it. I mean, think of Argentina and Maradona. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was that, that type of atmosphere in football still at the time. And Denmark were a team. And Germany, they were still finding themselves at the team. They lost Lothar Matthäus. And then, of course, it was the first time a unified team was in a, in a final or in a major tournament. Uh, but no, it was definitely not good because I can't remember. I want to say it was Franz Beckenbauer said that a unified Germany has a chance of winning every single tournament they ever play in. And uh, obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it certainly didn't happen that one. I mean, they've obviously since then you have won a Euros and a, um, and a World Cup since then. Yes. But, um, it's, you can't win them all. <laughs> no, the bottom line. No. I mean, but um, obviously we're in 2022 now, 30 years later, um, and Germany, as usual, qualify for a World Cup um, after a rocky start against North Macedonia. Um, they then went on and won the rest of their, their games to qualify easily. Um, Hansi Flick in charge just now, having taken over from Jürgen Love. Um, how do you see the Germans... Um, prospects of doing well in this year's World Cup. Um, I know that as we um, record, the draw hasn't been made yet, but um, is it one that you think Germany have an opportunity in, or do you think they're still in a rebuilding process that's going to take time before they have a team ready to win the World Cup again, or even a Euros? Well, I think the, the big difference in Germany, uh, and you know, if you look at the beginning of the qualifying for the World Cup versus where they were now at the end, Hansi Flick has made a huge, huge difference. Uh, Joachim Löw, his style, his system, his, I'm not going to say cerebral nature, Hansi Flick is a very, very intelligent man, uh, very tactically astute, but Joachim Löw kind of had this mantra of getting into his own head, and um, honestly, it was so boring. And uh, also tinged with a lot of overconfidence after 2014. And he just didn't adapt. He did not adapt to a change in the game. He wanted to continue with the slow-paced possession game. And the sport has moved on since then. And he didn't press anymore. Whereas Hansi Flick, it's back to basically... You know, it's it's his Bayern side. It's that Jurgen Klopp-esque heavy metal football, high press, aggressive, counter-attacking, speed. That what Germany's strength was, uh, honestly, from 2006 to 2014. They were a side of counter-attack, pressing, and pace. And uh, Hansi Flick has brought that back. Whether or not Germany is a favorite for the World Cup... I don't see them as a favorite to win it, but I think with Hansi Flick, with the core of players at his disposal and some of the other ones that are coming now, obviously um, it, it, uh, it's not good when certain players are getting hurt already now uh, for, for longer periods of time. But um, I think 
the the only area of Germany that I'm truly concerned about is that they don't actually have a real striker per se. Not a you know, there's no um, Lewandowski type striker that yeah. plays for Germany these days, and that can be an issue. A ton of creative players. Um, that's never going to be a problem. Do I think Germany could finish in the semifinals? Yeah. Um, they're kind of a team, though, that I don't rule out until they're out of the tournament. It's like Italy. No matter what Italy does, no matter what they say coming in until the Italians get knocked out of a tournament, I think they can win it. Yeah. That's if I actually make it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, true. And you're right, never write off a gem. So, yeah, enjoy the World Cup when it comes. Hopefully Scotland will be there with you. But listen, Matthias, yeah. um, thank you very much for... Um, for your time and uh, looking back at your 92, even if it was partly painful from your moment, um, from your <laughs> point of view, but um, thanks very much for your time. Yeah, no, glad to be here. It was, it's fun to kind of relive some of that <laughs> even more painful memory, but uh, you know, a little early nineties nostalgia never hurts. Exactly. Thank you.